White privilege and racism are real. Whether you believe they are or not, we are here to discuss that and more on White Privilege Personified. Hey everybody, welcome to White Privilege Personified. I'm Mike. And I'm Amy. And this week we've got an episode about the marijuana industry. We thought it'd be pretty relevant with New York making moves now to legalize recreational marijuana. We've got a guest with us this week who works in the marijuana industry. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi, everybody, and thanks for having me on. Uh, My name is Eric Range, and I serve as the board chair of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Uh, We are the largest nonprofit organization focused on uh, minority issues in the cannabis space across the country. We have 27 chapters in the U.S., one in Toronto, one in Jamaica, and now one in London. And uh, we focus on uh, public policy, uh, community engagement, and also business development, helping minorities get into the industry. So uh, I'm also a business owner myself in the space and have a couple of businesses, uh, you know, both on the ancillary side as well as the plant touching side. Cool. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, so what specific issues would you say minorities are facing in the marijuana industry? Oh, uh, <laughs> where, where do we begin? Right. Um, you know, there, there are tons of issues, I, I think, that, uh, you know, minorities face in any industry, you know, re- regardless of, of uh, you know, if you include uh, marijuana or not. Um, and we like to use the term cannabis because even that term marijuana itself is a racist and derogatory term that was used in order to help demonize the plant. And uh, to, to make sure that minority communities, black and brown uh, individuals were who utilize the plant were seen as uh, in a very, um, you know, non-humanistic way, if you will. So, hmm. uh, yeah, so we the, the, the scientific term for the plant is cannabis. Uh, and that's hmm. whether we're talking, uh, you know, what we use for medicinal purposes or what we use for, um, you know, just adult use. Uh, or even the hemp industry. It's all cannabis. It's just different, uh, you know, uh, levels of cannabinoids in the plant. So, but, you know, back to your question. Sorry. Uh, I, I, I love to, I love to educate. So that, Honestly, that's... I didn't know that. So I'm glad. No, me that, neither. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was fitting for this show, uh, yes. you know, back in, in the late 1930s, uh, 1937, when they outlawed uh, this plant, they, if all they did was just place a law in, in, uh, make it illegal, then all we would need to do now is, you know, replace that law with a different law and make it legal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, what happened was there was tons of uh, miseducation and propaganda to really uh, make it sink into the uh, American psyche that this plant was bad. And so you had things like reefer madness, you had things like mm-hmm. terminology like marijuana, which again, uh, you know, help to help the American uh, citizen associate this plant with uh, Hispanics coming from Mexico and their use mm-hmm. of the plant. Marijuana and the way it's spelled is, a, is a, again, a, a way of making that connection to the Hispanic population, which at the time was something, you know, and we still see it now, immigration being a huge threat to, uh, you know, uh, I guess, white America at large, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. This was one of the ways that they use for miseducation and propaganda. So, um, you know, again, to answer the question more succinctly, you know, part of the issue that minorities face in this industry is the fact that there was so much miseducation. There was so much demonization of people who use the plant uh, and 
you know, media and, you know, everything uh, that we learned about this plant was that, you know, black people used it and sold it and they were criminals and they, you know, mm-hmm. and so this was a part of the propaganda that justified the war on drugs, which was yep. prosecuted primarily in communities of color. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that was the, the number one issue and addressing that is something that this industry is still you know, grappling with and, and working to try to figure out. But, you know, there are other issues as well. But that that would be the first one I'd say that we have to overcome. Have you experienced any racism yourself within the industry, just doing your job? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple examples of, of, of that is, uh, you know, I've been in the space since 2015 and I've, you know, had the opportunity to write public policy. I've had the opportunity to consult with different businesses in the space, both startup businesses as well as, you know, well-capitalized white owned companies, uh, you know, as well. And so I've had companies share with me their perspective on my value and what I brought to the table for them. Uh, and then turn around and hire a, a different consultant and pay that consultant more than what I was asking. Uh, so, you know, it's things like that that happen. Um, I've had, uh, you know, from the nonprofit standpoint, you know, after George Floyd last year, uh, a lot of companies in the cannabis space wanted to, uh, you know, kind of show their support and, and solidarity with the black community. Um, but they chose to put their money into uh, nonprofit organizations that were again white owned and and run, yeah. uh, but that had a mission to impact our communities and overlooked organizations like my own, which were mm-hmm. black owned and black run, uh, that have been at the table for the last five years. You know, doing the actual work that they would like to do. So, you know, it, it's it's those type of things. Uh, you know, there there's even more. Uh, you know, in your face, uh, uh, you know, things that I've seen, you know, that not necessarily target me directly, but, you know, I've seen African-American females treated, you know, horribly in this space, talked to uh, in a way that, again, was less than human. Um, So, you know, this industry grapples with some of the the same issues that any other, you know, industry would would grapple with. But I, you know, I'm one of those people who remain optimistic because I think there's uh, you know, we're still such a new industry that we do have an opportunity, uh, you know, to, to change the tide and to create an industry that is, you know, the best in the country, you know, and, and kind of avoid some of the, the pitfalls and mistakes of other industries. I'm, uh, Eric, I'm curious about your own background. How did you get involved mm-hmm. in the cannabis industry specifically? <laughs> That's always a good question for me, <laughs> uh, you know, because my background prior to getting in the industry is, is, uh, Probably not your most typical, uh, you know, pathway to cannabis, if you will. Um, you know, I was I, I was an educator. I worked at the University of Miami um, and, and helped underprivileged, you know, uh, high school kids uh, get through high school and apply for college and get into college. Um, you know, so I, I did that program. I, I also worked at University of Central Florida, which is the second largest school in the country and and my alma mater as well. And, you know, I, I served as a college, a first year college advisor, uh, working with first generation multicultural students, helping them to, you know, navigate their first year in college and to, you know, uh, uh, pick up internships and all of those good things. So, you know, a lot of mentoring and, and so on. 
Um, but I left that space in early 2000 or, or 2011, I think is when I left the, the higher education space, went back to school, uh, you know, had a horrible time in, in graduate school, uh, ended up leaving before getting my, my actual graduate degree, uh, and then went and worked in the private sector for an environmental engineering firm, uh, again, doing more mentorship, workforce development, working with folks who had been incarcerated, helping to train them, get them retooled and back into the, uh, you know, into society with jobs and so on. Uh, and I was loving what I was doing, but I was having one of those kind of like midlife crises where it was like, you know, is this all that I have, you know, to, to you know, look forward to? Is there something more? Uh, and so I, I was trying to think about what I was passionate about and what I would do, you know, uh, if I wanted to do something that was my passion. Well, I just happened to be rolling a little joint at the time. Uh, <laughs> Perfect inspiration. <laughs> and I said to myself, well, I would do this for free. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe this is what passion is, you know, and so uh, <laughs> You know, I began to, you know, kind of explore the idea. And at the time, you know, Florida wasn't legal. So there was no opportunity here in Florida. Um, But, you know, I was, uh, you know, I traveled a lot. And so I had an opportunity to travel to Colorado and kind of see it up close and personal. And I was like, yeah, I think (laughs) think we're on to something here. And so, uh, you know, I came back to Florida uh, and, you know, found out I didn't even realize it at the time, but we had already legalized medical marijuana. We just were in the process of developing that program. And so, um, you know, I I ended up starting my first business in the space, which was a ancillary business called Art 420. And we use fine art to challenge the stereotypes about cannabis users, uh, you know, using creating a safe place for people who don't, you know, who didn't consume to be able to come in and talk to, you know, patients, talk to doctors, talk to advocates and learn about the plant, um, you know, without it being kind of in your face, you know, kind of scary, uh, you know, pushing it on people, but just really giving that you know, opportunity to kind of help change people's minds. Uh, and that really took me all over the place. You know, I got a chance to put art in the Florida State Capitol, uh, you know, again, during session to help advocate for uh, the plant. And uh, I had an opportunity to travel out to California and do some pop-up shows. And so uh, that was really the catalyst for me getting in. But as I was, you know, running that business and promoting it, uh, I realized that minorities were missing out. And so uh, I got involved with Minorities for Medical Marijuana and became the board chair. And that was in 2016. And we're celebrating five years uh, in, in May. Uh, so, you know, it's been quite a quite a journey. We've had an opportunity to really uh, create some impact across the country uh, through, you know, a lot of different programming that we do through public policy um, and, and just really being a voice for uh, communities that don't have a voice. And like it sounds, it sounds like you like those things are so different from what you did before to what you do now. But honestly, like hearing what why you got into different things and like what you're trying to do now, kind of per, like helping minorities in this in this space, it's very similar to what you were doing even with education. So I mean, it does it sounds kind of crazy like going from like you know you doing higher education to now in the cannabis industry, but it really makes sense because it seems like your you know life structure was always to help minorities you know absolutely get through, you know whatever uh, they were going you through. know and, and it's, it, it, I'm glad you picked up on that uh, because I think that was one of the things I struggled with right at out you know at the onset like 
how does this actually square with who I am as a person? And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how am I going to tell my family? How am I going to tell my, my students, you know, <laughs> that, hey, I'm yeah. in this space, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and you're right, you know, and when I first started in the space, I, I really, you know, I didn't care too, too much about that. You know, I, I was seeing yeah. an industry that was making a lot of money and I wanted to see how I can figure out, you know, how I can make a few bucks myself. But very quickly, you know, I realized that I, you know, being a person of obligation, I realized opportunities for me to do good for my community, for me to, you know, mm-hmm. take my skills and education and educate people and to help, you know, be that voice for people. So you're absolutely right. I see it very much in line with you know, what I've, my life's work and what I've been doing all of my life fighting for, you know, people to be able to, uh, you know, advance their life and, and, you know, move from one stage to the next. So yeah, it's all tied in there. And that's actually part of the message that I hope, you know, your listeners take away as well. Um, you know, one of the misconceptions about the cannabis industry is that it's just about smoking, uh, that it's just yeah. about the plant, uh, but it's an industry and, you know, like any other industry, uh, they're, there's a need for every type of business and service that you can think of. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you don't have to be someone that comes in and grows the plant. You don't have to be someone that comes in and, uh, you know, is a dispensary. Uh, you know, you could be a janitor and, and you know, do very, very well in this space. Uh, you think about mm-hmm. True Leave, which is the, the biggest company here in Florida. They have over 70 locations in the state. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just think about if you were, you know, supplying them with anything, uh, how well yeah. your business could be doing. So, uh, yeah, that's part of the yeah. message is that, you know, you you're you probably have a skill set that this industry needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really hope people understand how much of a booming industry this will really be once it takes off federally, especially that it's all kinds of opportunities to be had within it. So it's it's pretty exciting to see it developing even from, you know, my perspective as somebody who's not involved the way that you yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's important to know that there are barriers to the industry, whether you are, you know, minority or not. I mean, just just a little guy can, can get cut out of this industry very easily. Um, but there are also, you know, other avenues that are there that, um, you know, we just have to pay attention and look out for those opportunities. And I'll give you a, a clear example of that. Here in the state of Florida, if you wanted to have a, uh, a dispensary, that's not available to you right now, right? Um, medical marijuana program, excuse me, is a licensed program that is, um, you know, the license, the application process isn't open right now. And you know, so you couldn't become a medical marijuana company in Florida, even if you wanted to. And then say, for instance, you were able to apply, uh, the application fee is $60,000. So the average person Mm -hmm. is going to be cut out of that right off the gate. Right. And then you think Mm -hmm. about, say, you know, the adult use, we don't like the term recreational. We like the term adult use, but, uh, you know, for the sake of your listeners, most people understand recreational like Colorado. Um, even on that mm-hmm. side, you have very competitive licensing. And so, uh, you know, you may be submitting your application. You may be one of, you know, 200 applicants for maybe 15, 20 licenses, you know. Uh, and and mm-hmm. so your chances of getting it may also be very slim in that regard. And then you look at the hemp side and things are very different. You know, here in the state of Florida, you can get a license to grow hemp and it's zero dollars for the application. There's no limit on the number of applications or, or licenses. 
if you meet the qualifications, you can get a license. Uh, and so there's different avenues to getting in the space. There's different regulatory structures that people uh, need to understand. Uh, you know, medical marijuana regulatory, you know, uh, requirements are different than adult use. And those are all different than hemp and CBD. So, you know, we, it's a lot that you have to understand. That's why I wrote a, um, an ebook uh, that people can go to my website and grab. And I kind of touch on like the, the three things that I think people need to know about if you're going to get into the space. And that's knowing your laws, knowing your vision and knowing your distribution. And so uh, if you can figure those things out, then, you know, there may be some space for you in this, in this industry. Why do you think it's so difficult to get into the industry in, in some, in some States? Or in all states. Money, 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 money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. If we were able to all grow this in our in, in our backyards, we would, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation, right? You know, <laughs> it, it's money, and uh, you know that's at the root of it. And you know, and you know, to some extent, there's also a, a public safety thing that people want to, you know. Uh, um, care for. And, and that is due to, again, going back to what I said earlier in terms of the miseducation and demonization of the plant, uh, we have a fear of yeah. the plant. So if we didn't have that fear, would we, you know, care much about public safety? Like, would you worry about someone growing this in their backyard the way that they would grow a tomato? Uh, and, and so again, mm. because of that miseducation and that fear and the propaganda, when we go to legislators now and we say, hey, let's make this legal, they're saying, hey, well, I don't want this growing, you know, uh, two feet from my, you know, or 10, 10 houses down from my my son's school. And, you know, there's no yeah. real, you know, reason behind that. But that that's, you know, uh, because of that fear, those type of things end up being in place. And so, um, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's part what? of the difficulty. What also do you feel, uh, well, I mean, this is a little bit out of the industry itself, but just a little bit of um, how you're feeling just, I guess, in general with this question, but how do, does, how do you feel like it should be portrayed for all, for people that are in jail with like some sort of marijuana uh, charge that they're in there for however long and now it's becoming legal in certain states? Yeah, I mean, just just think about that. I mean, just put yourself in that person's shoes, right? You know, yeah. uh, you're mm-hmm. sitting in jail uh, and, and you're, you're there for 10, 15, 20 years exactly. because of, you know, you sold mm-hmm. a dime bag. And, and people think that that yep. is an exaggeration when I say someone's sitting in jail for 15, it's you know, not. for a dime bag. Like, I mean, we're... <laughs> I know people like I, I literally know people yeah. that that's the case. And and so uh, put yourself in their shoes and, and look out, you know, when you get out of jail or if you're in jail and you're you're seeing, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry, you know, develop off of the very thing that you're you've lost your, you know, decades of your life over. Uh, I mean, it's a slap in the face. And so uh, that's one of the things that mm-hmm. my nonprofit, we work to you know try to remedy. Uh, we certainly advocate for expungement. Uh, we certainly advocate for wraparound services. We've asked the state of Florida uh, a number of years for, um, you know, resources to help 
you know, people when they come home, you know, to, you know, expunge their record, but to also help, you know, give them different services so that they can reintegrate back into society uh, and, and recognizing that we have a debt to pay. You know, we've broken up homes, we've destroyed communities uh, and, and all for this plant. And now we are allowing uh, the legal commerce of it and, and billionaires, I'm sorry, millionaires and, and soon to be billionaires are being birthed in this industry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was once uh, the very thing that was tearing families apart. So, um, yeah, and still is. I mean, let's let's not act like that has ended, you know, just even yeah. under decriminalization. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the the uh, onus was left up to the the officer to their discretion as to whether to issue a citation or to make an arrest. Uh, and who do you think is still being arrested? Uh, you know, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it's still something that, you know, it, it goes on. And uh, I think both legislators have a responsibility as well as anybody who has a business in this industry has a responsibility to contribute to, uh, you know, paying that debt that uh, we all owe. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, and Eric, I know you did earlier, that the destruction of communities and separating of families, and that was all very intentional, and that was the, you know, the entire point of the war on drugs that you Absolutely. mentioned. Eric, Absolutely. So it, was, it was by design. It was not by, by chance at mm-hmm. all. I mean, and, you know, I tell people, I wrote a chapter in a, a, a book, was it last year or the year before? I can't even recall now. In this industry, everything feels like three <laughs> years. You know, one year feels like three years. Um, and the COVID year right, added right. in. Doesn't yeah. Help. yeah. Uh, but I wrote a chapter in a book uh, and it was kind of explaining social equity. And, um, and there was tons of contributors to the book. And, you know, my chapter was really focused on the pervasiveness of the war on drugs. You know, most people, when they think about the war on drugs, they only think about uh, the number of incarcerations because of this plant, but they they don't they fail to realize and make the connection between how all of it was impacted. Imagine if you were arrested for a, a dime bag and you were prosecuted for it. How does that impact your ability to get housing, to get loans yep. for mm-hmm. to start a business, to buy a house? Um, how does that discriminate against you when you go to rent uh, to get jobs? So this war on drugs, the impact of the war on drugs was so pervasive into communities of color that, you know, when the people ask me, what is the impact of legalization? I tell them we have still yet to really dig through and understand the impact of uh, prohibition to, to, to begin to understand yeah. what the impact of legalization will happen. You have to remember uh, California has only been legal just over 20 years for medical um, you know, and then in terms of mm-hmm. recreational, uh, Colorado hasn't even been legal for 10 years. So, you know, we're, we're very right. early on, whereas this plant began its journey of prohibition and, you know, uh, uh, becoming illegal in 1937. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it was 70 years plus uh, that we are having to figure out how do we uh, kind of navigate through and, and fix uh, where we went wrong. I'm curious, before it was made illegal back in 1937, was it used widely before <laughs> that in America? Oh, no? Okay, you guys ready for a little bit of history lesson? Um, so, yes. yes. Yes, we are. We did not make this plant illegal 
because of something we could roll up into a, a, a piece of white paper and, and light and, and get high. That wasn't why we mm-hmm. made this industry illegal. We made this industry illegal because the the cannabis plant is there is something like 25,000 known uses for this plant prior to modern day technology. You know, when we think about everything that can be done with the plant uh, from when we plant it in the ground, it cleans the soil. It's a phytoremediator. So uh, that was one of the things when you think about other crops that you have to use pesticides on and, and so on. Hemp was going to replace that because, you know, you can get food from the hemp plant as well. My company, that is all we do is hemp mm. foods. Uh, we are focused on the hemp seed as mm. a grain and all of the derivative products that come from that. And so those products threaten other products like corn, like soy, all of these other things that you have to use pesticides on that end up harming the, the environment. So that that's one you know area we threaten the food industry. We threaten the textile industry because the fibers that come from the hemp plant are stronger than the fibers that come from cotton and wool and some of the others that we know of. Uh, we threaten the the uh, fuel industry because you could make uh, renewable biofuels from hemp. You can also make it from other things like ethanol uh, or you can make ethanol from corn and, and so on. But again, if we're using corn to make fuel, then aren't we also impacting the food source? So. When we do mm-hmm. it with hemp, I can harvest the food and then turn around and use the, the fibers to be able to create a renewable source of energy. So uh, we threaten the energy sector. We threaten uh, synthetics. We threaten all of the, the people who, before we knew what this term lobbyist was, like your DuPonts, uh, you know, like all of your uh, um, Rockefellers and so on who owned major mm-hmm. businesses, who owned newspapers, who owned all of the industries that this plant uh, w- threatened, they lobbied. They lobbied to make it illegal. <laughs> and that's how we made it illegal mm-hmm. back in 1937. The U.S. government used to actually pay farmers to grow hemp during wartime. Mm-hmm. We used to pay farmers to grow hemp during wartime so that we can make the sales for our, our naval fleet so that we can make ropes, so that we can make other textiles uh, that were absolutely imperative to our uh, ability to show strength uh, as a, a, a you know, military might. So, yeah, that's a little bit of history for you guys. We always like a history lesson here. And then all because of some rich guys' bank accounts, we've outlawed this plant for 70 plus years, ruined entire communities, locked up hundreds of thousands, if not absolutely. more people. Absolutely. And so this is why I in particular get very excited about this industry because it is coming back online and we, we will threaten many more industries as well. And so, um, you know, now is a great time to look at this plant and, and figure out because it will be here. I mean, you think about during COVID last year, uh, medical mm-hmm. marijuana uh, facilities were deemed essential facilities. Uh, you know, cannabis is rising on the, you know, the plate as an acceptable, uh, you know, uh, plant in many, many different fashions. And so uh, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, and, and so I look forward to how we can rebuild and, and uh, you know, really support those same communities that were destroyed by the plant. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any obstacles that 
a black owned dispensary faces more so than a white owned dispensary? Uh, I mean, yeah. Besides the initial funding and, you know, things like that, once they're, you know, operational, are there as many black owned dispensaries? Oh, absolutely. You know, not. as there should absolutely be. Absolutely not. There's this... definitely barriers to entry. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, I recognize there being barriers, but I also, you know, I just feel, I don't know if it's just me. I, <laughs> I feel above it, if you will. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I operate from mm. a different mindset in that regard. But, you know, to, to, you know, really recognize uh, how difficult it is to get into this space. You know, I, I don't just place it on race because, again, you know, I have white friends, uh, Asian friends, uh, you know, women friend friends who are all struggling to get into the space. So, uh, you know, the, the the pain is shared. Let me just say it that way. Uh, but there are definitely some unique challenges for minorities. We have less than four percent of all of the you know, plant touching businesses across the country are minority owned. Uh, I mean, black owned. So, uh, you know, there are definitely challenges. I'd say some of the initial challenges, again, this isn't unique to just cannabis, but, you know, minorities face issues with coming up with seed, you know, funding and capital right out of the gate. That That is a, mm -hmm. uh, you know, almost a deal killer in, in this, in this uh, industry in particular, because, you have to come into the business with money. You can't come into it, go into your bank to get a loan. You know, it, it's just not a, you know, that's not a reality or, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's not something available to you. So you have to be able to rely on friends and family that you can go to who you both have the means and the, uh, you know, risk tolerance to be able to invest in you. And that's something that my minorities disproportionately lack uh, you know, access to, um, you know, other, uh, uh, things that I say are barriers are when we place, you know, a cap on the number of licenses, then we automatically place undue competition on individuals getting in because then it's a race to who has the most money, who can hire the best, you know, lawyers to write mm -hmm. their, their application. And again, that becomes, you know, a, a barrier, um, you know, there, there are tons of different things that I, I could, you know, go through that, um, you know, black owned businesses certainly face, um, you know, a, a tougher time, you know, getting access to, or even know, understanding how to navigate going through the application process, you know, being able to get a, a sit down with, mm. you know, uh, a, uh, regulatory official may be a challenge for somebody who's, not you know familiar with uh, navigating that and who's african-american who doesn't who isn't taken as seriously uh you know in this space at, at times so um yeah there's ton tons of uh issues there do you think also that there's a hesitancy on the part of black people to get involved with legal marijuana or legal cannabis just because oh, of this country's history absolutely with the stigma is cannabis. very very real in our communities um you know i can remember uh in 2019 i was at essence festival in new orleans and uh this is probably the largest gathering of african-american women in the country every year right and i'm there and we were kind of doing like a a, a uh what would you call it like a um a guerrilla style marketing you know, about our nonprofit and, and just mm -hmm. educating people, you know, and um, we were passing out some CBD samples and so on. And people would just kind of turn their nose up at us because it was just like, I don't want to get involved with that. 
But you know, the one thing that helped to, to kind of undercut that stigma is that even if people didn't agree with the use of it um, or consumption of it, nobody fought us on, on the fact that people shouldn't still be getting arrested for it. Like that was, you know I mean? Everybody seemed to mm-hmm. agree mm-hmm. on that one fact. Like I, I'm not advocating for you to use it, but we can, we can at least agree mm-hmm. <laughs> that nobody should have to have their lives, their life, you know, ruined because of, of this. And so, ruined uh, but yeah, that's a stigma uh, that keeps us from learning uh, about the industry. It keeps the, the organizations that could potentially have influence and in policy uh, you know, influence in other areas, it keeps them from even, you know, getting into the space because, you know, they they fear, you know, how their members may look at them, you know, by doing so. Uh, but, you know, that the, the tide is turning because, again, yeah. I think it's becoming, you know, increasingly difficult to ignore <laughs> uh, that this plan is here to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, I know we got to wrap things up, but it's interesting. I, reading science fiction books from like the 1950s and they envision a future where people smoke cannabis the way that they smoked cigarettes back then. You know what I mean? And it's, you can imagine the 1950s that doesn't seem like a very viable or nearby future, but it's, yeah. It's happening I mean, now. or, or, yeah. you know, I don't know it's, if I, I envision everyone smoking because, you know, for me, knowing a lot about the plant, I don't recommend smoking for everybody. Not everybody needs it, you know, uh, in, in that mm-hmm. regard, there's so many other ways for you to now consume the plant and get the benefits that come with it. And so mm-hmm. I do envision a, a time where everybody is in some way consuming a, you know, a cannabinoid, which we are already. You know, let me make that distinction as well. Cannabinoids are not just found in the cannabis plant. <laughs> They're found in so many other things. So, you know, if, if for your women listeners out there, have you guys ever realized why you love chocolate so much? Because there's cannabinoids in chocolate <laughs> and your body has cannabinoids or CB1 and CB2 receptors. Your body was designed to synthesize this, these compounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it's found in other, uh, you know, substances and, and plants and, um, and so on. But I do foresee a future where people are using it more readily uh, as a part of their you know, daily uh, routine. So, but I think that with, with all plant medicines, I think, you know, we're kind of returning back to the, the earth a little bit, if you will. So the last question before we do wrap it up is what would, do, do you have any advice for those trying to get into the industry, especially for minorities? I know you already said the three, if you want to repeat those again, but then yep, anything yep, else? Yep, absolutely. A couple of. of shameless plugs here, if you will, then. Uh, you know, uh, first and foremost, <laughs> a member of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Um, again, we are both the largest nonprofit uh, for minorities in the space, as well as the largest producer of content specifically for minorities in the space. So, I mean, we have weekly webinars, uh, I mean, Facebook lives and, you know, YouTube lives and uh, we do webinars on hemp, on medical, you know, uses. Uh, so we do a lot of information. Uh, we put out a lot of information for folks. And you can go to uh, m, the number four, mmunited.org. So m4mmunited.org. Use the number four. Um, or you could just Google us, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, uh, and we'll come up. Uh, the other shameless plug 
go to my website, ericrange.com. That's E-R-I-K-R-A-N-G-E.com, ericrange.com. And you can pick up my ebook. Uh, and again, I wrote that book because I get that question all the time. I want to get into the space, but I don't know the first thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's, here's what I yeah. tell people to do. Here's how I got into the space. Here's, uh, you know, the, the pitfalls I've seen people, you know, make over the years and so on. You have to understand the regulatory structure and the laws that are in place. If you want to stay out of trouble, you want to keep your business and, in, in, you know, going and you don't want to lose your money, you know, your investment, know and understand the, the laws. OK, that's the first thing. Second thing have a clear vision. You know, what is it that you want? You, you may want to sell the cannabis plant, but again, that is just a product. A product is not a business. So you need to have a full vision for your business. Where do you see your business in 10 years? Get that understanding before you start spending money. Uh, the next thing is understand your distribution channels. How are you actually going to sell whatever it is you're going to sell? Uh, whatever products you have, how are you going to get those products into market who are your customers? How many of them are there? And how are you going to reach them? Those are all things that you really need to understand before you start spending money uh, in this space, because you can very quickly get in contact, uh, you know, with, with companies where you can get products, and you can start selling, but you need to understand those things before they, you know, your business can actually do well. So uh, those are the, the, I guess, my little tidbits for how to get into the space. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate having you on. I learned a lot as I going into this. I told Mike, I'm like, I don't know a lot about this. So (laughs) I was like, you're going to have to help me. But you uh, I really did learn a lot. And I um, I think that it's really interesting, especially how you speak about it and all of the knowledge that you have. So I hope our listeners. Absolutely. uh, Well, thank you guys for having me on. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm always here to educate. So, you know, anybody want to connect with me, definitely tap in. And, uh, you know, I love to help grow this industry. Awesome. I did come up with an action item. So what I came up with was just to look at cannabis as an industry, just like any other industry and not what people have demonized it to be. Absolutely. (laughs) So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric. And Mike, you want to close us out? Yep. Uh, Thanks again, Eric, for being on. Hope you keep up the good work and what you're doing. And uh, everybody out there, I guess, smoke (laughs) them if you got them. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. All right. You guys have a good week.